0: Hi there, you're listening to season two of A Drink With Detroit. My name is Hillary Satchuk, and I'm the host and founder of adrinkwith.com. On A Drink With, we sit down with industry leaders and share their inspiring success stories. Whether it's a coffee or a beer, our relaxed atmosphere allows our guests to get comfortable and open up in thoughtful and unexpected ways. Whether you're from Detroit or not, you can't deny that what's happening in the city is history in the making. Just think about it. Brands like Ford and Motown Sound not only shaped Detroit, they shaped the world. In the 1930s, it was the fastest growing city in the world. The middle class started in Detroit. The city breeds innovation. In true Detroit fashion, our guests have stories of grit, perseverance, and have found themselves in a moment where they had to pick themselves up and move forward. We guarantee you'll find inspiration and be motivated listening to the visionaries, future leaders, and risk takers who are making a direct impact on not just the community here, but the world. This season, we're partnering with Goodwill Industries of Greater Detroit. You're probably familiar with their stores that feature donated gently used clothing and household items. But they also provide skilled labor to businesses and help adults who have a hard time getting or keeping a job and give them the skills to lead a productive life. Goodwill wants to make sure that every neighborhood of Detroit experiences the kind of renaissance that we're seeing in downtown and midtown and that every boat rises with the rising tide. We're excited to welcome Jessica McCall, the VP of Marketing and External Affairs at Goodwill Detroit as our special co-host. Goodwill is asking the question, what's good Detroit and wants to hear from you. Join the conversation on social by using the hashtag what's good Detroit? when you come across anything that inspires you or moves you in the city. Our conversation was recorded in the Foundation Studio at Detroit Foundation Hotel, our official studio host. The studio is located within the beautiful boutique hotel that used to be the Detroit Fire Department headquarters and the former Pontchartrain wine cellars, making it the perfect spot for a drink. Over a year ago, I saw Veronica Scott, the social entrepreneur and CEO of The Empowerment Plan, speak at an event in Detroit. Immediately, I was inspired. She was someone who is strong, humble, vulnerable, and smart. When I was thinking about who I wanted to get to know in the city, she was on the list. The Empowerment Plan is a Detroit-based nonprofit focusing on hiring single parents from local shelters and providing them with training and full-time employment as seamstresses so they can earn a stable income, find secure housing, and regain their independence. The Empowerment Plan manufactures coats that meet the needs of those in the homeless community. Listen in and hear a different side to her story and mission that is shaping Detroit. Cheers. Happy Friday. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, thank you. Is this always your drink of choice? A margarita?
1: Yeah, but it's like rosé season. So it's like rosé or mar- like tequila or mezcal, anything. Mm. Favorite, favorite, favorite. And then like occasionally whiskey.
0: Oh, nice. Mm. Like on a cold winter's night.
1: Uh, or, you know, Thursday, whatever. You know, same, same thing, but okay, cool. I like it, I like you, it. You were really trying to paint a picture, and I'm just like, or just whenever.
0: <laughs> Doesn't have to be cold. Whiskey is right. great. Anytime. Anytime. I love it, I love it, I love it. Um, So... You are not only a, a, a social entrepreneur but you know the the CEO and founder of Empowerment Plan. Um how I kind of want to go back and I know you've talked about it before but that light bulb moment um when you realized that this could be an idea and you want to turn it into something. Um I'd love to hear that story just just from you over over a drink right here. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh and also I think like em- Empowerment Plan has had many kind of different, like pivotal moments yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I think so. It's interesting to talk about it because what we are now, which you know, this emp- this the Empowerment Plan is a nonprofit that hires homeless single parents, um, and we employ them to produce a coat that turns into a sleeping bag. And our real goal is to end generational poverty through employment. So we focus on parents for a reason. Uh, but a lot of that has evolved over time. But I think the first first time we started to transition from that class project into something feeling like it was real, um, was one instance that I had been in the shelter doing some, some research with NSO and I love neighborhood service organization. They've been around for a long time. And I think they do really good work with, you know, very like challenging, you know, problem. They face it head on and they really like to meet people where they are. And it was a great place to start empowerment plan. And so I was doing, I was in their uh, tsunami, tsunami Center uh, on, what was it? I think it's like Cass and 3rd, or like between Cass and 3rd on MLK. So spent time there and was there every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night at 8 p.m. doing research, just talking to people and mm-hmm. getting to know those that have been, you know, really displaced for a long time, like 15, 20 years, and not a single night off. Um, they've been living on the streets for a very long time, and... One of the instances that inspired the empowerment plan was when I was designing the coat. The coat was actually inspired by a playground across the street. Two Mm -hmm. people were living inside of it, uh, and it had been covered in tarps and clothes. And I took a picture of it on my cell phone. I didn't know that two people had been staying inside there. And I came back a week later and had been burned to the ground in a turf war. Oh, wow. Completely melted, decimated. And the two people that had been there survived that incident only to pass away a short time after, just from having been out in the elements for so long. They had spent years and years outside. And it's like, well, why would you build something for yourself 20 feet away from a place that's trying to give it to you for free? Right. You know, here's somebody that's trying to be like, here's this thing that you need. It's not like it was miles away. It's not that they didn't know it existed. It was kitty corner from the shelter. And you realize when we talk about charity and when we talk about helping people, we don't think about some of these intangible things like dignity and pride and respect. Mm. And those are things we don't talk about. Right. Uh, and how do, you, how do you help people with dignity and how do you help people in a way that restores dignity rather than makes them feel you know, less than human? And in the homeless population, most people are treated as if they're part of the landscape. They're just looked over right. and just they and get treated as if they're not there or as if they're just worthless. And so when I designed the coat, uh, which was a mix about, like, just how do you give people comfort in very extreme situations when they may not be able to get into a shelter, uh, a woman that I had been talking to for months and months was in that shelter. And as I was leaving with the coat, she starts screaming at me, full on just yelling at me. And it's like she was she pulled me aside and we talked for a second. And she's like, look, what you're doing doesn't matter. I don't need a coat. This is stupid and pointless. I need a job. Hmm. And she was entirely hmm. right. And at that moment, it was like, well, then I'll figure that part out. I was still in school. I was like, like so oh, then I'll hire people. Old, like,
0: how old were you at this I'm point? I was 21. 21. Mm-hmm. 20, 21, I don't yeah. really know. I was, 20, was 21, I think just 21. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Were you and a little rattled and like being screamed at or like, what was that?
1: <laughs> I feel like she just wanted to be heard. Yeah. Right. I don't think, I think it was just the only way to get through the noise and right. just get reach me and... And I was fine with that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't rattled by that at all. And and I think because it was a class project at the time, it wasn't the end of the world. I don't know if if I had started as a business and then heard that. Right. The stakes would have been so much higher and I would have been so more so like so nervous. Right. And like, I don't know if I could have heard it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, but at the, that time, and I try to continue to remain open for when people are kind of pretty much yelling at you, like, here's what we need. Um Instead of me just trying to decide, I know better. Because I'm not homeless, I know better. So many people
0: don't listen. That's the
1: thing. I think this this woman, among many other people, have been sitting there dealing with individuals coming in and being a savior. Coming in and like, this is what you need. I know what you need because I'm not in that situation. Right. And I'm here to help you. And no one's saying I need help. So it's just here's this actually communicating this is what we really need. And it's true. The coat on its own is a Band-Aid for a systemic issue. Mm-hmm. And what really has the impact is employing the people that would need it in the first place. And so that is when it went from project to this is about hiring people and that daunting aspect. <laughs> and, then, and then became an organization, a nonprofit. And why it's called the Empowerment Plan. It's not called, you know, the coat project. We're known right. for the coats. But I think it's it's something about much mm. much deeper than that.
0: Yeah, wow. Now, what were some... And that was... Eight, was it eight years ago?
1: Oh, uh, man. Yeah, so it was almost... Actually, maybe I was almost 22. So seven years ago, that was... That was 2011. Yeah, 2011. Because mm-hmm. the organization Empowerment Plan really officially kicked off in 2012.
0: So then what were some of those other kind of um, uh, turning points along the way? Or what's something that maybe you couldn't... How the brand... Um, and nonprofit evolved that you could have never predicted. But None of it. Um, <laughs> like just
1: none of it. None of it ever. Uh, well, well, one thing I didn't think I would ever run a business. What did you think mm. you were going to do? I, I thought I was going to design school. I thought I was going to go work at an agency. I was going to go design consumer products. And that was it. I was going to live in New York. And this is right. what I have been told for years by all my professors. This is what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do. And frankly, because the way that I grew up, both of my parents have been unemployed for decades. They struggle with poverty mm-hmm. and addiction. And we could have been a recipient of the services that we provide now that at Empowerment Plan. I think that's the reason I'm really doing the work. But at the same time no one in my family started a business like that's not way you did. You go and you work for people, you go yeah, get a living. Right. Uh, so when I began empowerment plan, I thought I was the weakest link part of the organization. Like there's no way why in the world would somebody want to come like work with me or like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I think that was probably actually the biggest hurdle, uh, in the very beginning was to actually settle into the idea that I had created something that could be a business and that I was going to have to take it on and push it further, and that that it was that it was that was me that was going to have to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, getting that kind of confidence and understanding that I could do that because that I thought that was reserved for like a higher class of person, somebody that had money and connections and all these things that I just. Didn't right. have. Right. I thought it was for those people. that Are like, oh yeah, my family gave me a million dollars to start my thing. I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't have that. Right. Right. <laughs> what, how do, what do you do when you don't know those the right people? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was for me probably one of the biggest things to to get past is to break the notion of you're you're not going to go and just work for somebody else. It's not going to be that like. But also at the same time, worst case scenario, it fails and it doesn't work out. You know, at the time I was broke and living with my grandparents as like a 22-year-old, I figured, well, I'll I'll still be broke and still be living with my grandparents. right. But I'll be okay. Right. With
2: all that you've learned over the past eight, seven years? So
1: uh, uh, six years, almost, almost seven. What do you think we're getting wrong about homelessness? You know, homelessness is isn't what you think it is, right. and it doesn't look like what you think it does. And I think that's where people get caught up is that if I asked everyone, even just polled people that are walking by us on the street right now, what does homelessness look like? Mm-hmm. They would all almost say the exact same visual image of the person standing on a street corner, asking for change, holding up a sign. This is what homelessness is. That person you ask, what are their traits? They're lazy or they don't have a job or they're mentally unstable or they've done something wrong or they're right. addicted to drugs or they're in prison. They have this, we have this clear idea of what is homelessness. And really, one, it's not a defining characteristic. It is literally you just do not have a place to live that doesn't tell you anything else about the person. You are just displaced. Right. And I think for me, growing up in that situation people would look at me and my siblings as as like worthless by extension, that we are just doomed Mm -hmm. to repeat the same history over and over again. Mm -hmm. And we see individuals all the time. If you look at even who we hire, we hire from shelters, but you have somebody with a master's degree in psychology. You have another person that has never had a job before, maybe, or somebody that had spent their life, you know, maybe in sex work. And this is something that they want to get into. They want to create a better life for their family. They just don't know how. And then you've got somebody that, you know, got laid off by a job and their house burned down. Right. There's no one thing right. that right. looks and that is homelessness. It's not something that would be solved by a cream. And I think that's mm-hmm. like, we want that single problem, like we want it to be so well-defined and easy because then it would, the solution would be easy. right? There is no easy solution. It's complex, it's hard, it's challenging, but it's worth it right. to address it at its core. But I think just that that idea of what's the one, like, what are, what's the number one reason why people are homeless? I can't tell you. Yeah, And it's also the person that's living in their car with their kids because they're d- escaping domestic violence. Like it's just so many yeah, things right. and it's amazing. Some like brilliant, talented people, celebrities, all this stuff. And you ask them and they will tell you about the time that they lived in their van. Right. They won't call it being homeless, yeah. but they were. Yeah. And I think, and that's what I think unifies our work and what I I love that Empowerment Plan has been able to do is, like, people will come tour our facility like we sell food or something. Like, they're super excited to get a tour. And they always walk up to somebody, and they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you were homeless. And they're so shocked. And it's like, well, what the hell did you expect to see when you showed up here? Right. And that goes back to, and, and even yesterday we had someone come up to me, your people are just so great. And I'm like, I want to swear so bad, but yeah, of course <laughs> they are. Obviously they're right. here. Like they're on on the, the show. <laughs> right. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Fuck, of course they are. Um, they're badass, Right. And they've gone through something that you can't even imagine and have come out the other side stronger and positive and happier than a lot of people I know. So really this whole pity and Oh my gosh, it, like, what it you must be, you must be addicted to drugs or something that just needs to go away. Yeah. And we, we can be a part of helping change that. And I think that's really exciting.
0: Right. That's amazing. And it's, yeah, It's it could be just one paycheck that, you know, it's yeah. never... Um, We're you know, never as
1: far away as we'd like to think we are.
0: Right.
2: Mm-hmm. One th- one yeah. thing can happen.
1: Exactly. A healthcare situation, anything. Healthcare situation, yes. That has happened, like, you know, if you have an illness or yeah. your child. Right. Something happens. Surgeries. Uh, oh, God. It, there's so many different things that can happen.
0: Yeah. How do you say emotionally tough um, day in and day out when you feel good about what you're doing, but are there days when it's like, man, it's just hard to do what you do? Oh, totally.
1: And I think that speaks to the the capabilities of my team. Like I have an exceptional group of people that work with me and that choose to work on like the front lines of something that's very hard and emotionally draining. Yeah. Because you're so invested in each person. And when something happens where somebody that's been abusing them comes back into their life and you're like, no, but no, like don't do it. Like you deserve better and you want more Mm -hmm. and like, and you want to just shake them and be like, we're we're here and we can, we can do this. Um, When things like that happen, it's devastating. It's not easy, but then you have to remember that also each of those instances is something you can learn from and hopefully that person may change, that may shift and change. You have to remain positive and optimistic but that also, maybe there's something that you're learning that can apply to hundreds of other people. Mm, right. So I think for us, like every, everything that we've gone through, everything that we've been faced up against, all the struggle that we've faced has informed how we can better help people. And I think that's what's interesting about my, even my own personal experience. Most people that grow up in, in poverty or in these situations of trauma, they feel like it's something that they have to hide. Mm -hmm. Um, And cover up. But frankly, that going through that, having gone through that gives you so much perspective Mm. on it. And the fact that you had the resilience to work through that is very powerful. And that's something other people can learn from. Mm -hmm. So that struggle is something you should very much own. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not saying it's easy at all. Oh, my God, there are very hard days. Uh, but, I think at the end of the day we we know we're doing it for a bigger thing, and it's that that's exciting mm-hmm. and you have to sometimes remind yourself of the num the numbers, which is hard,
2: right yeah, yeah, at goodwill, we talk a lot about dignity that you had mentioned and to the point where we changed our mission to co creating independence and dignity through the power of workforce and personal development. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, and we did co-creating because we nobody does it on their own, and I'm wondering who are some of your co-creators as you've gone through this, um, the development of Empowerment Plan?
1: There's There's been quite a few people, whether it's like mentors or just members of the team. So Erica George is one of the people that has started with me, and she is our uh, chief development officer now, but she started off as like an intern. Oh, wow. And really took on the complexity of that role, like, of figuring out how to fundraise with me because that is certainly not (laughs) something I knew how to do when I began this whole process Um, and has also been there as part of strategy. Same with Matwaka Brown, like, who has been there just, like, God, since the very beginning, had been a case manager at another nonprofit that had seen people come through and she was just so devastated about not being able to see it through to the end, not being able to get to somebody to stability. Like, she would just... Kind of push them through the door and she wouldn't be able to follow them. And she was just so overwhelmed by the sheer volume of need that she couldn't track it. And when we brought her on, that was the opportunity to be able to to follow through. Um, And she's exceptional. And so she's really the reason we've had the impact metrics that we've had is like her, that knowledge that she brought to the organization. Um, There's just, there's a lot of people from like mentors, like from the CEO of Carhartt who helped us really early on um the knowledge and the wisdom that he imparted every time we met mm-hmm. about how to run and operate a business and do so with like integrity and just being open and authentic it was just I've been very lucky that there have been people, and it just the timing sometimes just seems kind of surreal. You're like, mm-hmm. how did you know that I was struggling with this thing? And you just appeared miraculously out of thin air. But mm-hmm.
0: sometimes the right people find you, and it's just that being yeah, so open. It's so one of those moments where the stars kind of aligned. that The very first kind of
1: big, powerful moment was Emory um, Molnar, who had been the dean of CCS, so the College of Creative yeah. Studies where I went to school. Um, I didn't know where to go to for money for empowerment plan to even start. I had written mm. the business plan and it, ne- it said, this is not my strong. See- I went to art school. Can I, can I reiterate? <laughs> I went to art school. Right. So the first <laughs> business plan said we needed $1,600 to operate for a year. Oh, great with Excel. And it said the only line item was sewing machines. No thread, no needles, no fabric, no people, no space, no nothing, just sewing machines. (laughs) Super strong business plan. It was really pretty, though. It was beautiful. But that was it. That's all I had. And so I didn't know where to go to next. So I got a meeting with the dean of CCS because my assumption was, well, I give them money every year. <laughs> Shouldn't they give me money to start my business? I was like, that's not how that works. <laughs> but that was, that was the only entity I knew. And so I set up a meeting. What I didn't know was that he had been the design director for Patagonia. Oh, wow. Short, crass, little Australian gentleman. Mm-hmm. and. All my professors, uh, not all, uh, one professor was an exception, but a lot of the, the professors at CCS were like, look, this is cute. Right. This is adorable. What you're doing is so nice. Um, but you need to get back into consumer electronics. And I was like, they're like, there's, no, there's not really a future in this. Right. And when Emre saw it, he's like, you know this can be a thing, right? You know this could be a, a real thing. I was like, nah, I don't, oh, I don't so know about did, that. You weren't even sure at that moment. This was when I was still going to school. I was still in school, and he put himself on as faculty to teach me. Wow! So I took an independent study with him. I would meet with him once a week, and he's like, "Just tell me what you're doing, and I'll help. I'll try to help in whatever way I can." And he did. Um, it was really exciting for me because after I graduated and started my first day at Plan, which I didn't even know what that meant, um, after a year I got this crazy award. Ridiculous! I don't even know how or why, but. And I invited him to come with me, and it was in Boston. And I got to thank him. And he made this whole speech how I, like, Rambo style kicked in the door and, like, (laughs) threw my business plan down and said, give me money, and, like, was really forceful. They never gave me money, by the way. But, and he was the person that connected us, connected me to Carhartt, too. And we were able to do that. And then a couple weeks later, he was on vacation with his family in California and passed away of a heart attack. And mm-hmm. so it's amazing sometimes when these people come into your life and right. I was very, very grateful that I got to express uh-huh. how much what he did and the and like the time that he spent with me. And, right. how, and how it's and it's it's so tough to now be in our own building and to be employing so many people and looking at employing hundreds more and not be able to share that with him. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. But
0: it's all it takes is that one person mm-hmm. to believe in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially with this experience, it was really... You can get so many no's right. over over and over, mm-hmm. and all it takes is one person. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's really true.
2: What else have you learned about asking for help and, and those most difficult asks, in, especially when running a social enterprise and a nonprofit? Like, you're constantly asking. What advice do you have for people who
1: have similar aspirations? I feel like a couple, like two things. I think in the beginning when I started out, um, it's focusing on making, like keeping it small initially. Mm -hmm. Like I think when you see these big issues, you want to tackle them. You want to tackle the whole mountain kind of thing. You Mm want to attack it. But what's the hard part is when you're looking at impacting millions of people, sometimes it just becomes too daunting to move. Mm -hmm. And you feel like nothing you do. And even... Like so why the, even bother? Why me? even bother? <laughs> right. Like, if, if I'm only going to employ three people, then how am I helping anything within homelessness? Like, it, when I started, it was about giving the first, like, ten people that signed up for coats, coats, And then from there, it was like, how do I employ just, like, a few people? Because the whole issue was so, if I looked at it any bigger, I don't think I would have been able to move. Right. Um, and keeping it, like, local, obviously. Like, for me, I, my whole family's from Detroit. I grew up, in, like, it's so important to like I this is my home. I live here. I have skin in the game as far as like mm-hmm. I want I want my neighborhood and my home and the place that I live to be successful and I want to help people there. And I'm not going into a population or an area that I don't know and right. saying, like, I'm here to fix it. Yeah. Um and then I think when it comes to women and asking for money. Mm-hmm. Um everyone get it, out your notepad. <laughs> like no, just like I've I was told early on to just like look at the money and look at the amount that you need and like triple it or at least double it mm-hmm. and go in there and just sell it and don't apologize and just ask for them like ask for it. And I think I kept on paring it down to exactly what we needed or trying to understand like what's right. the minimum. Right, cuz
0: I'm scrappy and I want to Yeah, right. do this with the least amount I a lot yeah, it's hard to switch out of that mindset. And you
1: need resources right. to do it well. Yes. And if you have that opportunity, the worst that they can do is like, no, we can't do that, but we can do this. I've had people that I would like my goal was to get a hundred thousand from somebody. So I asked for three hundred. Right. I was like, I want a hundred, but they're gonna maybe pare it down and I don't know, so I'm just gonna yeah. go for it. And they gave the full amount. Wow. And so it's like, you don't know unless you ask, like you really have no idea. Right. And we can make a ton of assumptions. But I think that's the one thing, like as women, we tend to underestimate and undervalue Mm -hmm. not only ourselves, but some of our ideas Mm -hmm. and say, oh, well, I just need this to make it work. It's like, no, how do you, what do you need to make it big? What do you need to make it great? Mm-hmm. Don't limit it. Like our board chair for a while was like, he's like, Veronica, you have to stop thinking in like this macgyver way. Just, he's like, no, what does it take to just blow it out of the water? Like, what does it take mm-hmm. to make it massive? Mm-hmm. And he's right. like, ask for that money. Who is that? Uh, Jim Bildner, who is actually, uh, sits on the he sits on the board for Kresge, but he is actually a president of an organization that's between um, Menlo Park and like, San Francisco area and then Boston. And so he's, he's been great for that.
0: I love that advice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how can you talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial ecosystem of Detroit and, um, and, and why it really stands out, um, and just your experience, um, and why, what what I guess makes Detroit so special. Detroit is
1: so special because of it's for many reasons.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like for many reasons, but I, I have to say
1: people like, drinks and the food and all that stuff is wonderful, but the people are like what gets everybody and like what makes everyone fall in love with the city is its people and their ability to be resilient and be proud and like tackle some of these very difficult mm-hmm. things. I started empowerment plan. The idea came out and like started the class project began like 2010, but wasn't an organization until 2012. Uh, but that was when the economy had collapsed and nonprofits right. were disappearing and everybody was being deeply affected by what was going on. It was a scary time for everybody to even just find a job, let alone try to make something new. Right. Um, and yet there was this group of people. Um, I can think of, like, Bobby Smith and On Guard Detroit, and, like, I can think of all, like, you know, Ellis Island Tea, who, by the way, Mm -hmm. she just got picked up by a major district. just, like, so those are some people that I remember sitting down with her, and she's, Mm. like, I remember that first bottle Mm -hmm. of tea that she had that I think she had put in in Avalon, and, like, they were all, we were all kind of, like, around the same time, and Detroit was so small, it felt like, at that point. Um, And everybody just knew each other, and there was this sense of like, we're in this. We're in this together as a group. We all are out for the the success of each other. Mm. And it was interesting because some of the big companies were in that, too. Right. Like, GM was one of our first supporters and donors with material. and the Carhartt. There were these massive entities that in any other city would not pay attention to a three-person operation in a utility closet of a shelter. Right. Just wouldn't care. But because it's Detroit and everybody needed to rise... Mm-hmm. Together, because they realized that if these small businesses don't succeed, they're not going to do well either, and I sure. think that mentality of we we have to all lift each other up was really an exciting, very cool thing to be a part of right yeah,
0: I also read um you say something about how if there was not if like if you were to work with someone or someone approached you and it wasn't really a fit, then you kind of. Press them along to your friends or other nonprofits, and that there's this just real sense of, yeah, it's people just aren't selfish in keeping things to themselves. Um, I think we're all just out for the similar mission. Like mm-hmm.
1: in whatever way we're doing it, we're trying to improve the place that we live and we care about so deeply. Mm-hmm. Whether it's through like if we grow this business, then I can employ people, or I just want to make the best thing ever. Like whether it's jeans or tea or anything, like. I, you pass people on to even for profits. It wasn't just about like right. helping in that sense. It was mm-hmm. like we knew that something had to be different, and it was easier to ask for forgiveness than permission, and just just keep moving. Keep moving, yes. Yeah. Do well, you,
0: oh, go ahead. Oh no, yeah. I was
2: just gonna say, is there is there um, ask if there was a vision beyond the coat? Is there a next phase?
1: For sure. Yes, definitely. I think we just hit a point a couple years ago. Uh, We've done almost 30,000 coats now, and we've done distribution in the six years that we've been around in all 50 states, all 10 Canadian provinces, and now New Zealand, Australia, Switzerland, Sweden, Malaysia, South Africa, UK, France, and Germany. And some of those, it's all made by the women that we employ back Mm -hmm. at Empowerment Plan. So the fact that the first year we made... I think it was like under like a thousand coats. Mm -hmm. So, and this year we're, we're on track to do, let's just say significantly more than that. (laughs) Um, it's, you know, doing like 60 coats a day. Like how amazing is that? It's really exciting to see that grow. But when we saw how we were the trajectory, it's like, well, how do we want to scale this? Is this about producing the most amount of coats? Or hiring the most amount of people. Mm. And it was a no-brainer answer for, for every single person associated, whether the board or people that were already in the program. They knew that it was about hiring people because at this point in time, every single person we've ever employed has moved out of the shelter within the first four to six weeks permanently. Now, not a single person has ever fallen back into homelessness once we've hired them. And we've been tracking for six years. Wow. And that means not just one person of the parent, but it's also their three kids. Right. On average, there's three children for every one person we hire because we focus on parents because Mm -hmm. they're so motivated to create that better life for themselves and their family. And so... That is what we want to scale. Mm-hmm. That is, and and the coat is a vehicle for us to do that. It's just a vehicle for us to employ people. Right, and it's amazing that it serves a need in communities like globally, whether refugee camps, disaster relief, right. people living on the streets. Um, it's not just about supporting and like those that are homeless or displaced. It's also it's also these other purposes, which has been really interesting. So we're growing that side mm-hmm. um, to help continue to sustain employment. Now, we want to employ hundreds of people mm-hmm. in Detroit over the next few years. Um, we also see ourselves scaling into other cities because other cities have requested the model. Mm. Um, and But then also, how do we take what we've learned? And I think the big, big, big dream um, is that really invest in data, over the next, like, data and impact measurement in a way that no one's tracking this problem that way, really. There's not a ton of information because it's hard to get. And how do we change the way that companies hire so that we're not the only ones doing this and that we can have a massive impact, um, not just through us hiring people, but for changing how some of these other companies, you know, where 10,000 employees for them is a drop in the bucket. You know, that's something that they would do in a year. Right we could have true scale if we figure out a way to like learn from what we've done and help other people's adapt it to what they do. Um, and then that's really, I think the truly th- the, the big thing that we're, we're pushing for um, is down the road. That's yeah. incredible. I hope
0: that you're is. congratulations. Yeah. Congrats. A... We're going to cheers to oh, that. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> and um, okay. yeah, cheers to, to um, your success. I hope you're proud and uh, only like, Big things are going to be happening. <laughs> oh, nice. Like I can feel it. Um, and even when I moved back to Detroit, you were the, the empowerment plan was one of the first you know things I had heard of. And cool. you know, when you yeah. really do think of the the people coming together um, around 2010, and and you know, you're one of those people that are you know rebuilding this city. Um, and yeah, I remember seeing you on like NBC with, uh, was it Brian Williams or Lester Holt? I, I, um, <laughs> but there was the nightly news um, turn
1: like so red in a second, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's we've been very lucky. Yeah. I think some people take that as like, Oh, you're set. It's like, no, no it's, it's yeah, great. Right, right. But it's like, it's helped spread awareness and that's crazy that people know who we are,
0: but I think it's a lot really of hard work behind and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Behind yeah. the scenes. I can feel my face getting that. I can like <laughs> literally feel
1: it. I don't know if it's the drink or the, um, um, the and, stuff.
0: And really quick, um, you were at um a women's like um conference with Diane von Furstenberg. Mm-hmm. Um what was that experience like and um how did that connection happen? And so this is this is definitely to Erica's credit. So back years
1: ago we were nominated for a People's Voice Award from uh DVF Jan von Furstenberg and her family foundation put on this award ceremony every year, and it's about investing, like actually giving a grant to to these powerful, amazing women right. that are changing the world. And it was so cool because that that the year that that we won and that I got that the People's Voice Award was the other winner was um, Gloria, Gloria Steinem, <laughs> Alicia Keys, <laughs> like, and then you're just sitting there and you're just like. Okay, cool. This is great. I totally don't believe. <laughs> You're just like, it's Alicia Keys. It's cool. Just right. be chill. Be chill. Be all right. Like and it was just like one of those weird, weird moments. And right. I remember when we won, Jan van Frischmer called me. And she goes, darling, you won. Darling, of course you won. You won. You won. You won. You won. And I was like, because <laughs> Erica had blasted it everywhere. Right. She was just like, we're winning this. Right. And she was so oh, determined, and she got it. And so we went together. But every year since we go and we connect with her, and but she's one of those people that could obviously be very, could easily be disconnected, right, from what's going on in the world. Could mm-hmm. easily. But she chooses not to be and right. is very, like, humble considering all of the things that she's done and so excited to hear about people's stories of, like, how did you get here? Like, what, are you, what things did you have to face? She's like, she married a print. Like, right. just, like, her story is just so <laughs> right. crazy. And so that was, it's really exciting. And so we're, we're going to continue to work with her. We're actually running a campaign now. It's all about, it's called Empowered by Women. And it's about women empowering other women and supporting other women, which we feel is very timely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's she's helping and there's a lot of people that are involved. And in it. it's exciting to, to do that. And it's exciting it's so that cool. this person in New York in like high fashion is like invested in supporting women in Detroit. And right. this coach yes. that's not high fashion.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And so. if you could have a drink with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, my God. Because now I kind of want to have a drink with Diane, so. Oh, yeah. man.
1: <laughs> I have to say, like, there's there's a couple people that come to mind, but um, Santa Mayor or Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. I, think, like, I think for me, Gloria Steinem was like a, a huge icon right. for like just what she has tackled and faced and actually creating and starting a movement mm. that has had ripple effects that are still being felt today is really exciting I have like a whole list
0: in my head that's a good one
2: that's a good one that is a good
0: one I'm Hillary Satchuk and you've been listening to A Drink With Detroit big thanks to our partners Goodwill Detroit and Detroit Foundation Hotel don't forget to hashtag what's good Detroit you can find us on social media with our handle at A Drink With if you like what you hear please subscribe on Apple Podcasts rate us and write us a review Shout out to Clay Carnell for co-producing, recording, and mixing, Derek Bussman for the photography, Aaron ben Moshe and Georgina Siego, who transcribed and edited the conversations, and DJ White Shadow for the music. You can read all the interviews with photos on com. Next week, we grab a drink with Nia Batts and Katie Cockrell, the co-founders of Detroit Flows.
2: There's something about like the resiliency and the vibrancy of this community and the people here. There's no other place that I'd rather be living and building right now. And so we're just, we're really stoked to be here. I always say that Detroit is a city where we make things and also where we make things happen.